Welcome, everyone. We're so glad that you're with us today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Welcome all of you that are connected with us online. We're so glad that you found us there and are staying connected and growing and serving through the online ministry. We are excited today to be beginning a brand new message series called Renewed Daily Practices for a Refreshed Life. We've made a change on our live stream. We were already live streaming through our YouTube channel, but now all of our live stream will be exclusively through the YouTube channel. And there's several reasons for that, but the main reason is we can make it much more interactive through that channel where we have a live chat feature and we've got someone live monitoring that, answering questions and responding. So each Sunday morning at nine o'clock, we'll have that live stream going out there and people will be online with you if you're watching through the live stream. Uh, there are links there in the description if you want to give an offering, if you have a prayer request you want to submit, uh, if you have questions you want to ask, you can do all of that right there. So we're so thankful to have that and have the ministry team that is going to help us be able to do that each week. There were a couple of parents, mom and dad, that like a lot of you, during this quarantine, they had to be working from home. Uh, they, their kids were homeschooling. So they had their homeschool kids there, had four children, two boys and two girls. And one day they were just, the kids were all over the place. The house was a mess and the doorbell rang and they went to the door and opened it. And there was a minister from the community saying, I, I hate to bother you, but we are uh, starting a brand new uh, children's home in the community. Uh, we want to help out uh, kids and, and, and take care of their needs. Uh, we were hoping maybe you could make a contribution to help us out. They looked at each other and they said, could you give us just a minute to talk about it? So they stepped away from the door and they talked about it. They came back and said, well, after talking about it, we've decided we could give you either two boys or two girls or one of each. <laughs> it's been a hard time, hasn't it? We're nearing now a year of dealing with this pandemic. Uh, we really started lockdowns in March of last year, so it's been almost a year now that we've had different levels of either lockdowns or mass mandates, social distancing. Uh, for several months, we, we didn't have uh, in-person services at our church uh, campuses, and then we went back to having in-person, but also still live streaming as well. Uh, and at home, a lot of you have been dealing with, in fact, all of us at one level or another, have been dealing with what they're calling pandemic fatigue, where we're just, you know, there are good days, but then there's some days it just really hits us. We're just dragging and we're tired of this and we don't want to wear the mask anymore. We don't want to not be able to go back and do what we used to do with the way we used to do it with the people that we used to do it with. And it's wearing on the whole world. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's all over the world. People are dealing with this. And it's developed, because it's gone on so long, this heaviness over people. This feeling. Uh, uh, you've seen the cartoons and all, like where there's a cloud hanging over a person, right? Uh, a lot of people, not every day, but some days, are feeling that cloud. And some people, they're feeling it every day. This cloud hanging over them. And as I was thinking about that and dealing with that myself in our home, I was thinking about what, what message does God want us to hear? What, what is God trying to do 
through this pandemic and everything that's happening here. And I don't pretend to know everything about that. But here's one thing I do know is God is working through this. He wasn't caught off guard by it. And he's got a plan and a purpose to bring some good out of this. And I'm convinced that one of the greatest goods he's trying to bring out of this is to teach us where to go when we need to be renewed. When we need to have our spirits refreshed. When we need to have real encouragement that will last in the face of the different challenges that we're going to go through. God is interested in doing a new thing in all of us, I think. And it and, and often happens when you begin to feel it. Maybe it's the changing of the year or the changing of the seasons or the changing of life circumstances or physical locations. But I think more than anything else right now, we're feeling this in the middle of a pandemic. That God is calling us, trying to get our attention, wanting us to come back to understand what it takes to be renewed. So in this series, we're going to be looking at daily practices so that we can experience the renewal that God wants for us. In preparing this series, I, I started thinking about what it is that would be the beginning place of renewal. Where, where do we need to go to start with? And, and I know the world is giving us some great tips on how to be renewed, but it's almost all outward stuff. Okay, Get outside when you can. Uh, you know, do, do certain things that are going to refresh you. You know, have a schedule even at home if you're working from home. Still have a schedule, right? You get up a certain time and you do some of the daily routines. that you They give you all these outward steps to take. And there's some good to all of that. There really is. I, I think there are outward things we can do. I Like me, I love being physically active because it gets kind of helps get stress out and, and relieve some of that stress. So I, I love exercise and things like that. But all of those things, they're only outward. They're limited. Now, they're connected to the inward, but they're outward things that are affecting us. And I believe as God calls us during this time, he's calling us to know that true renewal doesn't start out there. It starts in here. Human beings are an amazing creation of God. We are not just flesh and bone. The scripture is clear on that. We are not just the physical. We are spiritual beings. And because we are spiritual beings created in the image of God, and, and as Christians, we have God's spirit in us, dwelling in us daily. Because of that, the renewal, the real renewal needs to begin in here, in the spiritual person. If we can be renewed from within, then, then it affects all the outward things in a positive way. And as I thought about that, I thought about how all the stuff we're dealing with is so stressful, financial woes and disappointments and relationships and uh, deep sorrow of loss that we're feeling, all of those things, they're outward things that help it a little bit, but, but the real renewal is a renewal of spirit. That's really what we're longing for. That's really what will take the cloud away, remove the heaviness in our lives. It's a renewal of our spirits. And when we think about renewal of spirit, the scripture makes it clear that there's one thing in particular that should be the beginning point if we want our spirits to be renewed. It's a thing that many churches don't talk about much anymore. 
It's the thing that people are afraid to speak out loud like we used to. You know what the thing is? Three-letter word. S-I-N. Sin. You see, sin separates us from God, who is our source of life and renewal. And what the culture has tried to do with sin forever, forever, this is not new, what the culture tries to do with sin is make us think it's no big deal. It's perfectly okay. In fact, it's not even actually sin. Isn't that what the world's tried to do with everything the Scripture calls sin? It somehow tried to make it and shade it and twist it around and reword it and say it in a different way to make it sound like, no, this is not sin. Wait a minute, who's that sound like? Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? You remember Adam and Eve? You remember the serpent coming to Eve and whispering in her ear, did God say you shouldn't eat of this? That's not right. It'd be perfectly good for you to eat this. In fact, it would make you better to eat this fruit. Twist what God says is sin around and make it seem like something good. And as long as we're deceived into thinking sin is okay, what God calls sin is okay, and we don't even want to think of it as sin, then we welcome those things into our lives. But here's the thing about sin. It always hurts. And it doesn't just hurt the one who commits the sin. It hurts everybody connected to and influenced by the person who commits sin. And while we're trying to get refreshed and renewed, the world would tell you, you do it by all these outward things. You change your routine. You, you eat a better diet. You get good exercise and everything's going to be good. And the problem is the sin doesn't go away because you're doing those things. The sin isn't dealt with with those things. The sin isn't paid for or removed or lightened in any way by doing those things. And we wonder why the heaviness won't go away, but we continue welcoming the sin. We continue allowing the sin. We continue even in our culture today, not only legalizing, but celebrating the sin as a wonderful thing. There's no wonder there's a heaviness. There's no wonder God is calling in the midst of all of this for us to come back to Him. The first point on your outline today I want to hit is this. This is the beginning point. This is the starting point of having a renewed spirit. A renewed spirit, first of all, is a clean spirit. If we want our spirits to be renewed and refreshed, if we want to get back to the joy that we want to have, not just momentarily, but, but a, an abiding joy, then we've got to have a clean spirit to experience a renewed spirit. In the Old Testament, King David wrote many of the Psalms, and one of the Psalms that he wrote, he wrote right after terrible, horrendous failure and sin in his life. He had committed adultery with a neighbor. And after committing adultery, found out she was pregnant. And after finding out she was pregnant, tried to cover it up every way he could, but finally ended up having her husband killed in battle to try to cover his sin. 
Talking about David and Bathsheba here. And he sent Uriah to the front lines, making sure the troops pulled back and he would be killed there in battle. See, what we normally try to do with sin is exactly what David did. We try to somehow justify it and cover it up and make it look like somehow it's going to be okay. We can make it okay to sin. We can make it okay to live that lifestyle that God says is a sinful lifestyle. We can get scientific advancements and medications and we can, we can do all kinds of stuff so that we don't suffer bad consequences when we do what God says not to do, right? We get enough money and enough influence. We can, we can cover up all that stuff, but it's still in here. And David was wrestling with a disturbed spirit, a crushed spirit. That even though outwardly it looked like maybe he could get by with this, God knew all about it. And David knew that God knew all about it. And David knew all about it. And it was crushing his spirit. It was destroying and robbing him of life that God wanted him to have. And David cries out to God, a Psalm 51, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, Psalm 51. I'm just going to read a portion of it. You can go back and read more of it. It's a lament before God, a crying out of repentance and anguish over the crushing weight of the guilt of his sin. And here's what he says, verse 10. After he asked God to blot out all his iniquity, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and, what's that word? Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He asked God to do this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, his spirit was so crushed, he didn't think he could be sustained in life anymore. And he understood that the only place he could go for a renewal and a refreshing of the Spirit was God. He had to come before his Creator in confession, in repentance, in remorse, in sorrow for his sin. And most of us, like David and our human natures, try everything else before we get there, before we come to that place where we're going to deal honestly with the sin of our lives. But David knew he could not ever have fellowship with God again until he got this sin problem taken care of. He could never, you see, here's the thing about God. He's pure and he's holy. He's without any sin at all. And no sin can dwell and remain in the presence of a holy God like that. So if we ever want to have the renewing that God wants to give us, we have to come clean with the sin of our lives. We have to come before the holy God in confession and repentance, seeking his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Maybe you can relate to the words of David. Not maybe it wasn't adultery or, or certainly hopefully not murder or anything like that, but, but we've all sinned, the scripture says. And, and, and as much as we try to say, well, I'm not as bad as that or I didn't do that, all sin is destructive. All sin separates us 
from a holy God. So instead of trying to make ourselves look better by saying, at least I didn't do what David did, let's be honest, we're sinners like he is. All of us. And we need to come clean with our sins. This psalm that David wrote, among others, is one of the reasons David is called in Scripture a man after God's own heart. I am so thankful for that. Hear me out. David was not a man after God's own heart because he never messed up. Because he, he did everything right all the time. David was not a man after God's own heart because, because he was such a great leader in battle and, and leading his people. All those things are good things if you could do good stuff like that. That's all good stuff. But he was a man after God's own heart because David, David dealt with his sin honestly before God. He had a heart for wanting to be right with God. And he knew that it took confession and repentance to be right with God. He knew that if he was ever going to have a refreshed spirit and be right with the Father again, it required him to come before God in that way, to confront his sin and ask God for forgiveness and restoration. A person who has a renewed spirit is a person who longs to be right with God, who's willing to repent of sin in order to be fresh and clean again, to be renewed again. So if you're feeling some heaviness and you're feeling some disconnect from God maybe during this time, then maybe this is where we need to go back and start. Maybe we need to deal with this first, with this acknowledgement of our sin. And here's the question. Are you heartbroken over your sin? Does it grieve you that you've sinned against the Father? You see, so many churches today are all about feel-good, week-after-week messages where we don't ever have to confront the sin in our lives. But that's not the message of the Scriptures. There's feel-good stuff, but in order to get there, we've got to deal with the hard stuff. We've got to deal with the painful stuff. We've got to deal with the sin that all of us have in our lives. Does it grieve you and do you long for renewal? Do you long for that refreshing that comes from being forgiven and restored and that relationship again with the Father? There are stories all over Scripture of individuals who, who through repentance have experienced a renewed spirit. And I want to spend the rest of the time today talking about one of those examples from Scripture of someone who, who experienced this in a very powerful and vivid way. It's a man named Zacchaeus. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19. Uh, we're going to start with verse 1 there of Luke chapter 19. We have this record of Zacchaeus' encounter, his first encounter with Jesus. And it's a wonderful story. And one of the things we see in this story uh, about a renewed spirit is that a renewed spirit is not just about a clean spirit, but in order to get to a clean spirit, we have to understand a renewed spirit is a spirit that produces the right action, the action that God says is right. Let's pick up in Luke 19, beginning with verse 1. Look at the first six verses here of Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, 
to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, I don't know why they brought that up, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now I want to stop there for a moment because right away we see how Zacchaeus has gotten to a place in his life where he's willing to take the action he needs to take to be able to have renewal in his life. We learned several things about Zacchaeus in these first few verses. First of all, he's a chief tax collector. And under their system, they're under Roman rule, but, but the way Rome ruled the Jews in their territories was they would have Jews themselves work for the Roman government to interact with their own people, and the tax collectors would be Jewish because they felt like they had a, a better way of relating to their own people to collect the taxes. And so Zacchaeus had probably been in this business for a while, and he's now become a chief tax collector. It means he's, he's probably got others working under him, collecting taxes from his own people to pay a government that they hate being under and who they feel like is oppressing them and overtaxing them. Do you think Zacchaeus is a well-liked man? among his people. No. You see, the Jews would see people who did that as traitors to their own people. But we find out something else about Zacchaeus. Not only is he a chief tax collector, but he is wealthy. It's kind of like politics. <laughs> you don't get wealthy in politics just by being a politician, just by having a public office, right? There has to be other sources of revenue for you to get rich. They pay a pretty good salary, but it's not enough to be as rich as many of our politicians are. They've had other ways that they've brought money in. Some of them, okay. Some of them, maybe not. What ways that they've brought in money. When anytime you see somebody that's a career politician who's very wealthy, you know there's money coming from somewhere other than their salary. And probably has been for a long time. No matter what party they belong to, this is not political in any way. I'm just saying, you know, the income that they have as a politician is not what made them wealthy. Well, here's the thing about tax collectors and that system. They made an okay salary. A chief tax collector would make a pretty good salary, but not enough to be considered wealthy just from that salary that you would make just being a tax collector which indicates that Zacchaeus has done something that was a common practice in that time, which was he would overcharge people and threaten people to get extra from them so that he could make the extra. You see, the Roman government looked the other way and allowed them to keep any extra that they collected above what was due. So he's probably known as a corrupt traitor against his own people. Probably hated among most of his own people. We see that he's a tax collector. He was rich. There's something else you see about Zacchaeus. He's short. You say, well, that's no big deal. But it is part of the story, all right? It means that when he hears Jesus is coming to town, and, and the way Jesus was doing it, it says he was passing through Jericho. So he's walking with his disciples, his entourage, through the streets of Jericho there. And people find out that he's there. And at this point, Jesus is already well known, and, and, and he's becoming more what we would call maybe famous in that area. And so crowds come out to see Jesus. 
And I have been at many events where there were crowds as a vertically challenged individual. And, and I know even sitting in church sometimes, if I'm visiting another church or something like that, and I sit down and it's a level floor and the stage isn't real high and I get behind somebody with a big hairdo or a little bit taller person, I can't see a thing, right? I, I've experienced that many, many times in my life. And it can be frustrating. We know Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus and he comes out and he sees the crowd and he knows I'm not going to be able to really see Jesus this way in the middle of this crowd. So he saw the direction Jesus was going and he made the effort to run ahead and get far enough ahead that he had time to climb up in a tree so that by the time Jesus got there and passed by, he would be up high enough in the tree to see Jesus. Pretty good ingenuity here, pretty good effort on his part. He wanted to see Jesus. He was so determined to see Jesus, to get to Jesus, to have a chance to interact with Jesus, that he would go to extra effort to do it. So here's a question for us. How much do you really want to see Jesus working in your life? How much space do you want to give him? How much effort are you willing to put in to let Jesus have influence in your life? You say, well, I come to church. That's great. That's a good start. We want you to attend or whether it's online right now if you need to or in person, however it needs to happen right now. You make the effort. You, you, you connect. You become part of it. That's a good thing. But Jesus wants a relationship with us. The question is, do we want a relationship with him? Okay. Do we really want a relationship with them? Because relationships don't really develop well when you see the person from a distance maybe once a week. Do you have much of a relationship if that's how far it goes? If that's how deep it goes? No, that's not much of a relationship. We know that. We know that's the way relationships work. So how much do we really want a deep relationship with Jesus? Are we willing to put forth a little more effort? Invest a little more time and energy and resources to have more than just a surface level relationship with Jesus. We all have different relationships in our lives, right? We've got acquaintances or people we kind of know generally and we see once in a while and say hello. We've got people that are, we might say, are friends that we not only see occasionally, but, but we actually will talk more and maybe do some things together. But then we've got really close friends, right? In order to have close friends, what have you got to do? You've got to make more effort to have close friendships. You have to. It's the only way to have close friends. You have to put up some stuff that is hard sometimes to have a close friend and keep a close friend. You have to do some things that are inconvenient to, to keep that friendship strong. Same thing with a marriage, right? You've got to invest something in it if you want it to be a strong marriage. Well, in our relationship with Jesus, Zacchaeus gives us a great example here. He's someone that's willing to do whatever it takes to be able to connect with Jesus. And a surprising twist happens in the story. As Jesus walks by, what does he do? He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, get on down here right now. I've got to go to your house today. Isn't that amazing? 
There's a crowd of people around Jesus. They're all wanting his attention. They're all wanting to, to hear him and, and touch him and be around him. He's, he's so, so exciting a figure right now in that community that, that the crowds are just amazed that he's there and just want a piece of him. And he stops in the middle of all of that and he makes sure he looks at Zacchaeus and says, get down here. I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. You know what that tells us about Jesus and his efforts? He really wants to have that relationship with you that he's willing to stop and give you the attention and the investment of his life. He's willing to make the connection with you if you're willing to make the effort to connect with him. Can you imagine this man's excitement, Zacchaeus? He just hoped maybe to get to see Jesus that day, right? He didn't know it was going to lead to Jesus saying, come down, I want to go to your house today. We're going to hang out with each other today. He never, I'm sure, imagined that Jesus was going to do that for two reasons. One is because there's so many people, why would he single him out and give him that kind of time? The other reason is Zacchaeus has never been treated well by the Jewish leaders and the Jewish community. And Jesus is a Jewish rabbi in the eyes of that crowd. Why would this Jewish rabbi treat him differently than the others? He hasn't changed anything yet. He's still a sinner. He's still somebody who has abused his own people. He's still a traitor to his own kind. Why is Jesus being nice to him? Why is Jesus saying, I want to spend time with you? And suddenly a man who's too short, a tax collector, a thief, and hated by so many, was going to be hosting Jesus Christ at his house that day. What a turnaround of events. But what an amazing lesson to us. Immediately, everybody who hears this interaction and hears Jesus say, I'm coming to your house, immediately, you know what their response is? Why is Jesus going to the sinner's house? Why do we spend time with Jesus? Why would Jesus spend time with him? But you know what it tells us? It tells us they missed the point of who God is and what God does. You see, God goes after those who are far from him. He pursues those who are weary in their spirits. He always has. And Zacchaeus is just one more example of how God pursues those who feel like they are so far from him at that moment in their lives. Maybe it's encouraging to know that Jesus is coming after you today, after me, because he wants to renew our spirits. He's been there the whole time. You know what he's been wanting and waiting on? He's been waiting on us to make the effort to come to him, to spend more time with him to engage more with him so that we could have the renewal that he wants to give us. Which leads to the next thing, and that's this. A renewed spirit requires something that is hard for us to embrace. It's the word repentance. It's the action of repentance. You see, in order to have that renewal, we have to have this turnaround in our lives. The word repent at its root means to turn around. You're going one direction 
and you change your mind about going that direction and wanting to go that direction anymore. So you'd make a decision, but the decision is not repentance. The repentance is when you decide to turn around and then you actually turn around and start going the other way. That's repentance. It often involves sorrow and regret that you were going the way you were because you know now it was the wrong way and you don't want to keep going the wrong way anymore. So now you're willing to stop going that direction and turn and make a commitment to start going the right way. It means to no longer continue on the trajectory of life that we were going on. We've turned around to go a different way. Listen to what Zacchaeus does in verse 7 and 8 here of Luke chapter 19. I love it. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, He's doing this in front of everybody. I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Does that sound like he's a changed person? Absolutely. I, I love the wording in the original language. He says, not only am I giving half of my wealth away right now to, to the poor, but he says, if I have cheated anybody out of everything, and in the original language, it's in a tense that means, and I have. He's confessing that he's been dishonest, and he's a cheater and a liar to take money from his own people so that he could be wealthy. So he's confessing who he is and what he's done. He's saying, since I've done that, what I'm going to do is pay him back four times the amount that I took from them wrongfully. He's willing to give evidence of repentance. Now, the reason I, I, I want to emphasize that is this. We, we often have created this idea in our culture that if somebody just cries and says, I'm sorry and I won't do it anymore, that they've repented. And that's not repentance. We do it with politicians. We do it with entertainers. And, and we, we even do it sometimes with ourselves. We say, well, well I'm so sorry. But you know what we do then? We go back to the life we were living before. We don't turn around at all. We don't change anything. We're just really sorry we got caught and somebody got hurt in the process. See, sorrow and repentance aren't the same thing. Repentance is sorrow that produces changed life. A change of action in life. We're now going to do it differently than we were doing it before. And instead of doing this the wrong way, the way that God says is wrong, we're going to start doing it the way God says is the right way to do it. That's repentance when we make that change. And from cover to cover, the call of Scripture to human beings is repent, 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 repent. Why? Because we all sin. We all, from time to time, welcome sin into our lives. We justify it, or we wouldn't have chosen to do it. You don't choose to do something that you don't justify. It's okay to do it. So we justify it in our minds, and repentance means, I don't think that way anymore. I don't think it's okay to do that anymore. So I'm going to stop doing it. And I'm going to start doing it the way God says is the way life needs to be lived. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about a willingness to confess imperfection and grow and make change. The change that God calls for.
Repentance in Scripture is never a one-and-done kind of deal. That's what I want you to understand. It has to start at one point. Some point, repent has to start. But repentance in Scripture is always start at this point, but let it continue to be part of your life. It's an ongoing turning and repenting. Because what we're going to do in the future is we're still going to slip up, right? We're still going to fall. We're still going to make some mistakes. And we're still going to need to turn around and ask for forgiveness and get restored again. It's an ongoing process. But where repentance is not is this. And this is where we abuse it. It is not saying, well, I know if I ask God to forgive me, he will, so I'm going to do it anyway. That's not repentance. In fact, the scripture says in Hebrews 10 that if we willfully go on sinning after we've received knowledge of Christ into our lives, if we willfully choose to go on doing it, there remains no more sacrifice for our sins. Did you catch that? If we willfully choose to welcome sin into our lives over and over again, we're not sorry for it. We just think, well, God will have to forgive me. He always does. He's a forgiving God. And we treat God that way. There remains no more a sacrifice for our sins. Now, I know there's a lot of theological arguments people get into over like once saved, always saved and all that stuff. Forget the arguments. The scripture is clear. If you willfully choose to go on sinning, I don't care if you were officially saved or not, or now you think you are. I don't care where you are in that theological perspective there. If you willfully choose to go on sinning, you don't have a sacrifice for your sins. Period. We can't make sin welcome in our lives as if it's okay. We can't. And be right with the Father who is a holy God. We can't have close relationship with a holy God while we welcome sin into our lives and treat it like it's welcome there and okay to have it. And so we we need to understand that a renewed spirit requires real repentance. And real repentance is demonstrated by evidence. Zacchaeus is not just talking about repenting. He's showing repentance in his life. He's making the changes. He's turning things around. So what we've got to come to grips with is, have we just asked God for forgiveness or have we repented? And I love God and God loves us. So why is it such a big deal to him that we repent? Here's why. It's because sin will keep hurting you and to destroying your, your joy and your peace. And through you, it's going to hurt other people. And God loves you too much to let you stay in that lifestyle to keep hurting everybody like that. And to keep, quit hurting yourself like that. He cares too much for you and for me to let us think it's okay to keep doing that. It's not. And more than anything else, God wants to spend eternity with me and with you. Every one of us. And we can't spend eternity with a holy God if we bring sin into that relationship. We can't. We can't. We can't spend eternity with him that way. Zacchaeus experiences something now that's amazing. He experiences something that the Bible calls grace. You see, a renewed spirit, this is the last point, depends on grace. 
At the very end of this passage in verses 9 and 10, listen to what Jesus says to him. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to do what? To condemn us to hell. Is that what he came here to do? What did he come here to do? Seek and save the lost. He came here to seek, to pursue, to go after those that are lost so that he can save them. You see, sin will destroy us, and he wants to save us from that. And that's why he came here. And that's why even today, no matter where we are in our walk with him or way away from him, he still is pursuing us today because he's come today to seek and to save those who would be lost in their sin. This reminds me of a great hymn. You know this hymn, probably Amazing Grace, right? First verse, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I used to have trouble with somebody saying it saved a wretch like me. And even in some modern hymnals now or, or publications or courses that they present of that song, they took the word wretch out of it. And they said that saved a, someone like me or they, they substitute something else. But that's not what the songwriter wrote. He said, I'm amazed by the grace that saved a wretch like me. I went and looked at who wrote that song. His name was John Newton. John Newton was a man who, as a young child, his mother took him to church and taught him the Bible, but she died when he was seven, and he got so bitter and mad at God, he, he rebelled and turned from God. He, he left home and pursued all kinds of uh, uh, lifestyles of, of sin and, and uh, degradation in his life. He ended up uh, kind of being taken in by this gang that forced him to work on these ships that were involved in the British slave trade. And he was forced, but he willingly at first chose to do it, to treat those slaves so terribly on those ships as they were being transported to those that they were being sold to. He himself beat them and did all kinds of awful stuff to them. And it finally started to sicken him that that's who he had become. And he tried to escape one time and they caught him and they stripped him and beat him and forced him back into that work again. Until finally one day he decided no more. But he began to wonder, could God still love me? Is his grace enough for me? And a storm came up on the ship as he was struggling with that. And the ship was being ripped apart. And he thought surely he was going to die at sea in this storm. And he came before God on his knees. And he asked God for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And he committed himself to turning his life around. And God allowed him to survive. And he was able to escape the slave trade. He decided to go back and read scripture again. And God convicted his heart and he became a preacher. And then he was able to, to grow a church and God blessed him in his efforts as a preacher. He identified well with sinners as he felt like he was himself. And one day when he realized just how much God had done for him as the church grew and he had more influence, he got involved in the abolitionist efforts and was his testimony about the treatment of slaves on those ships helped end the legal slave trade in Great Britain, 
God used him in powerful ways. When he began to realize just what God had done in his life and how much God was able to use him in spite of how he had lived his life earlier, he sat down and penned the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God is pursuing us. No matter how far away we think we are from Him, He loves to show mercy even to people who believe they are beyond His redemption. He loves doing that for us. I wonder what keeps some people from responding to the invitation of Jesus. I wonder what keeps some of us from being willing to repent when He's right there pursuing us, wanting us to come. Maybe some people believe they don't need grace, but friends, we all do. But maybe it's something else. Maybe we think we don't deserve grace. We're just too awful a wretch to be worthy of the grace of God. And you'd be right. You'd be right if you said that about me. None of us is worthy of that kind of grace. And that's the amazing thing about the grace of God. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know that even today, so many are feeling this heaviness and this cloud over their lives. Maybe there's some listening online today, some at the Smyrna campus, some here, are feeling this, this weight. They don't know where it's coming from and they're not having the joy they want to have and the life is not what they want it to be, and they, they don't know why. Maybe today, Father, they can realize you're right there for them. You have been the whole time. You've never been far from any of us. Father, help them to see today that you're there for them not to punish them, not to condemn them. But if they're willing to turn and come to you, you're right there with your love and your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness. You're there to take away the weight of sin and guilt and shame and remorse, to take the heaviness of the burden of the world off of their shoulders and put it upon your son Jesus as he paid the price for it on the cross. Help them to realize that that refreshing and that renewal is right there for them if they would just take the step of coming to you. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.